welcome back to Stories from the Ashes, where we pontificate on good books and the stories that define and refine us. I'm Amber, and I'm here with Amanda, per usual, and today our special guest is Tim Davis, author and illustrator. Welcome, Tim. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. We are so glad to have you. So I have to say, um, you don't know this, but my husband is kind of the a running joke is that he's like the non-reader and he grew up and he remembers reading Goosebumps and then he loved The Great Gatsby in school and that's like, that was it. And then about 10 years ago, I also found out he read The Boxcar Children, which really elevated him. But <laughs> we were sitting we were sitting in bed the other night talking about upcoming episodes and I was like, yeah, you know, and Tim Davis is coming on. He did the mice books and he's like, you know, doesn't know the mice book. So he's like, okay, that's great. It's like, he also did all the drawings for the hidden pictures and highlights. My husband's face lit up like a kid in a candy store. Like for the first time in his life, he was jealous of one of my guests. He's like, I love those. And he told me, I can't remember what, but he's like, they were on this page. Like he told me exactly what page. And I was like, did you turn to those first before reading the articles? He's like articles highlights also had articles. So <laughs> apparently article highlights was a one hit wonder to him. It was the hidden pictures and he, he thinks you're a God. Hit, <laughs> it was one uh, hit wonder to me I too. I, was, I, I did. You didn't do all of them. I did more than anybody else. But I did not <laughs> Yes, I, I love I, those yeah. too. I lo- I actually looked forward to going to the dentist because the dentist yes. always had those. Yep. And I, didn't, I didn't read the articles <laughs> either, so I, cool. I really enjoyed those. Yes, so, so you my, are the most prolific. Well, one of my favorite recent projects was a dentist's office asked me to do a mural of a hidden picture. Because I thought that was so fitting to have a life-size, big wall-size mural at the dentist office for a hidden picture. So did you do it already, or are you waiting to do it? No, I did that one a while ago. Somewhere in Texas, I've never gotten to see it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's fun. What kind that of did you fun. did you hide dentist related items? Or? Oh no, no, just no. no just... You don't want to think about the dentist when you're at the yeah. dentist. <laughs> true, that's true. That's, yeah, you want to be distracted. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. As a kid, I did not know that you were that person as I was enjoying the illustrations and highlights, but we did read all of your mice books in our home. So I have one of them unpacked from our fire so far, Mice of the Nine Lives. And I just, I really loved these. They're little stowaway mice. Here's an example for the reading level for people that are watching along. And little stowaway mice and the pirates are dogs and the cats work for the queen and it's super cute and you don't really get a lot of good pirate stories until you hit treasure island which is a much higher reading level so really enjoyed these and i've had so much fun finding so many other people that remember these books so fondly as well in our group from their childhood and I was talking to my sister yesterday and she's like, I loved those pirate mice. I'm like, they weren't the pirates. They were the stowaways. <laughs> she remembered they them. They traveled with the pirates probably as much as anybody. But they, yes, yes. They were always loyal to the core. It's fun yeah. to meet people uh, that read them years ago because those were published, you know, 25 years ago or so. So now most of the the readers I have are are people that are older like you that are not kids anymore. <laughs> they have their own kids. 
Um, and uh, it, like I think I told you uh, before, one of the baristas that I frequent, uh, a coffee shop that I frequent, was the one that insisted that I write more books about the mice. And he's really responsible for some of the books that I've published since. Yeah, that's fantastic. You were sharing some of that story with us that you'd hit a a dry spell for some years that you'd written the books and kind of shelved them because they didn't feel right. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that experience? I think a lot of people just think, you know, an author sits down and writes a book and edits and moves on. But what do you do when you write something and you're like, this doesn't feel like it's right and I don't know what to do with it? Yeah, that that was, um, I mean, I think I told you I had, had some pretty early successes which maybe maybe spoiled me a little bit because I got a lot mm-hmm. of things published early on when I just started writing. They were looking for the kinds of adventures that I like to write. So um, I was pretty confident in my writing and I thought like, okay, the publishers will want this if I write it, right? But yeah. this, this next one, uh, the offshoot of the, the mice book, the first one that I call The Island Rule, it was all about the characters at the last island the the mice had visited. And I really liked those characters. And I thought, boy, this is going to make a great offshoot series. And Mm -hmm. so the first book, uh, I wrote it, and I got lots of encouragement from the publisher initially, but then they suddenly said, no, I guess we're not going to take it. It's like, I was was really pretty devastated, to tell you the truth, because I thought, especially that series had been so successful. I thought an offshoot from it would be, uh, you know, continuing success. Did they give you any reason why they decided uh, not to take it? Not enough of one. <laughs> to say <laughs> not. <laughs> not enough to satisfy me. Oh, that's disappointing. Yeah. So and there's also nothing um, you can do when you don't have a reason. Like, Yeah. And so it left me very kind of like, and, and it was right at a time when, we were moving and uh, we were going to, we soon had took in my parents because my mom was aging and having Alzheimer's. And it was just like all the stuff all happened at once. And so mm-hmm. there wasn't really any time to think about fixing it at that point. I knew mm-hmm. there was some issues, but it just got stuck in a box and was put in the attic. And then, you know, life just happens for years at a time, which is what I hear from many, many artists and authors. Yeah. And it just got set up there and and I would see it occasionally. You know, I'd go up in the attic to get something and I'd say, oh, there's my, that story. And I would even sit there in the attic and read it for a while to see if it would spark interest again. And I would mm-hmm. get to a certain point in that story and it would go flat. I mean, mm. the introduction was good. The leads were good. The characters were good. But when I got to that certain point, I thought, man, there's just not, it's just not growing. The story doesn't have the arc that it needed to have. So mm-hmm. I just like disgustedly stuff it back in the box <laughs> and go back downstairs and forget about it again um, until uh, Ethan, this uh, young man who was a big mice book reader in his family, he found out who I was and this was after I'd been going to that coffee shop for months. So we knew each other pretty yeah. well. And uh, then, you know, but Tim Davis, you know, how many of those are there? Uh, yeah. So yeah. He, <laughs> well, he finally realized I was that Tim Davis. And he asked me if I had written any more books about the mice. And I said, well, kind of. And I told him about this offshoot. 
And he was so excited. He, he called his brother on the phone right then to say that I was sitting there because they had grown up with these books. And uh, he said, you've got to get it out of the attic. I want to read it. And if there's something that needs to be fixed, I'll help you fix it. I dedicated that first book to him uh, because he, without his enthusiasm, uh, never would have pulled that book out of the attic, I don't think. You know, yeah. I've noticed in life that sometimes problems can be solved in the most unusual ways if you just happen to bring them up to random people. It's, <laughs> it's amazing how much knowledge people have that you don't know they have. Maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know if Ethan is just an aspiring writer or just had some great ideas or whatnot. How, how did he help you with that? Well, he did have some good ideas. He read the whole book and he wrote notes in a, on the manuscript. I don't know if he's an aspiring writer, but he just likes stories. Mm-hmm. And I had a very good critique group at that point and still do. Um, in fact, one of the other ladies in there is a also writes mice books. It's uh, Melinda Long, and she's written these uh, Pirates Don't Change Diapers and, and the, those, those books. <laughs> um, so... Uh, so she, I'm sorry, pirate books, not my books. But anyway, yeah. she um, she was into the picture book aspect of pirates. And she, you said, see, sometimes pirates have to be introduced early, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So we get used to the, uh, the the way they work. So I feel like hers are the first introduction to pirates that you, that a child should have in the picture books. <laughs> and then in my books, it's chapter books. So the stories are more developed. And there's still no, I mean, the pirates are, they're kind of bumblers, as, as you know. Uh, they never really hurt anybody. Uh, they mm-hmm. threaten like crazy, and they love to steal things, but nobody ever really gets hurt by them. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're ideal villains for elementary school, right? Yeah. Um, they kind of remind me of the bumbling nature of the pirates in the Muppet Treasure Island, because I watched that recently with my boys, and like, because... Knightley was obsessed with pirates. He had us get him a pirate costume. And I was like, what pirate stuff can I show him? He's autistic. And I was going to have him listen to Treasure Island, but I knew a lot of it was going to go over his head because of auditory processing challenges. But I was like, oh, the Muppet Treasure Island will at least give him some pegs for understanding where the story (laughs) is going. And so we watched that and I had forgotten just how bumbling they were. But yes, it's very similar to the the nature of the pirates and in, in your mice books it's very gentle they're definitely pirates they're not the good guys that's clear so it's not murky but at the same time they're not really wreaking they're too much havoc really gonna hurt anybody right <laughs> so, so in fact one of the problems with the island rule was i had not brought back those pirates the bumbling pirates i'd had some other mm-hmm. kind of invaders that had messed with the island but they weren't they weren't quite bad enough to mm-hmm. really make you feel like there was something at stake, like the future of the island was at stake. Yeah. So the bumbling pirates were chasing these other. This is the revision. Were chasing those other uh, invaders, and when they got there, they decided they would just take over the island. And of course, mm-hmm. that then all of a sudden, that's the big conflict. <laughs> they've got to save the island from these bumbling pirates, which. As it turns out, you know, if you just use some good, intelligent tricks, you can almost Mm -hmm. always fool them. So that's how it ends up (laughs) happening. Oh, that's great. So you've published three more books. Is that correct? The Island series is three? 
Yeah, I oh, I have them here. And this is the first one. That was the one that kind of brought him back. And I didn't even know that there would be uh, a trilogy, but but then this other idea came to me. And it's, you know, the titles is slightly different with the question mark at the end of the rules. <laughs> There's, these are internal conflicts that happen in the island. So okay. I wanted to, to talk about that a little bit. And then the last one is the island rules with an exclamation point that looks like a musical note, because this one really is a musical. Um, <laughs> it is. It has a lot of Gilbert and Sullivan music in it. Um, this, oh, they're well, set fine. in that time period, and so right. the, British, the British cats come back to the island because the mice want to visit, and the cats have always been curious about this island. Because of all the mice, uh, the things uh, the mice said about it. So they go back and they bring some royals with them. And the royals insist that the new play, the, the, the Pirates of Penzance play, by <laughs> be performed there at the, uh, on the ship, uh, right there at the island. So um, it has like 14 songs or so in it. Um, and if when you come to a song, there is a uh, QR code that you can go to that allows you to sing karaoke along with it. Uh, that, it has oh, that's kind music. of fun. <laughs> so if you like to do karaoke, you'll really like this last book, It's especially if you like Gilbert Sullivan, um, which I've always loved. I, they're just so clever. And it so fit into this story. Of course, I changed the words. You know, you know I would do that. Uh, mm-hmm. But... There's actually, I realized that there's like matchups between the characters and the Pirates of Penzance that were not even intended, but they're there. Mm-hmm. Like the Admiral, the British Admiral Cat, he is the modern Navy general in essence, but he's a modern, modern British Admiral in here. And he sings that song. And of course, you have the Pirates, you have the Pirate King, who is Captain Craig. Yeah, you know, I just kept seeing, wow, all these things match up. And then you had to have one character who was on the fence, right? Who couldn't decide whether they were like Frederick, who couldn't decide mm-hmm. whether they were going to be good or bad. And in the, it was kind of natural because Barnacle the parrot had been left behind on the island. Mm-hmm. And so he had feelings for the island, but he still loved the pirate life and his all. So he is the, the character in the middle that has to be swayed to determine what his final choice will be. Will he become good or go back to his former life? Very cool. I love love the interactive book concept. The Pirates of Penzance was like my first introduction to pirates as a child. Really? My parents' youth group was involved in the musical at the high school. So that was my first introduction (laughs) to pirates. <laughs> now, my kids so, used to the- perform it. They, they, they. Fa- we found this movie that was made in the '80s, and mm-hmm. uh, it was really well done. It had Linda Ronstadt as one of the main singers, mm-hmm. um, and our kids loved it. And they would do videos at home and mount, you know, lip sync the the words, <laughs> and they get in their costumes. Like my son, who was like five, would put on my fishing boots, you know, so they look like pretty impressive and they have all these costumes on and, and they would video each other singing. So that was part of my inspiration as I, I knew kids would enjoy it. It's a fun story. And especially if you adapt it for the books, 
I thought it just makes it even better in my mind. So that's what we did. Did those second and third books in the series come together a lot faster than the first one? Well, they must have come oh, together yeah, well, a lot. Now. Yeah, the other one had that 15-year gap. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Were they a lot definitely. easier to write? <laughs> I'm sorry? Were they easier to write then? Um, yes, I would say, well, the second one, uh, because I realized I, the, the pirates do play a part, even though it's an internal conflict, the pirates try to take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I realized was um, I needed to take a different tack. I, I'm, I'm more into themes now. As I've gotten older, mm-hmm. the themes are more important. And so I wanted people to understand, kids to understand, it's not always just the dangers from outside that we have to worry about, mm-hmm. but even just conflict within can cause problems that set you up for possible defeat. So right. that's really what this one is about. Uh, and it comes from, there was a, there was two chickens in the first one who had eggs. One of the eggs hatches and it becomes a rooster who kind of becomes a little too self-important. And uh, mm-hmm. he wants to kind of take leadership of the island even because he's born there and he feels like he has certain rights that way. And he's a good singer because music is really important there. Uh, mm-hmm. So he challenges the rules. And uh, Barnacle at that point is takes advantage of that to say, maybe I can make this work for the pirates and they can come back and take over the island in this time of divisiveness. Mm-hmm. So that's the, really what happens in the second one. And then the third one, I really wanted to bring the mice themselves back into the story yeah, because that kind of, it all came back to them and they're hinted at in the first two books, but they don't actually make an appearance. And I thought, well, they need to make that appearance. They need to come back. And then I just realized, wow, I'm just doing the play. I'm just going to let yeah. this all out. <laughs> it's just going to be a musical. And just celebrate all, all the characters mm-hmm. being backing. And there's something like 21 characters in this last book. So wow. we've got a big cast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I really like that. So the first series, the mice books, there's five of them. Is that correct? Correct. And then there's three in this. And do you feel that the story is complete? Or is there another yeah. branch that you want to write? No, I think we're done. Uh, the the mice, yeah. um, they they've lived a long and productive life here. Like they, yes. they started way back, <laughs> way back when, and they've gone through a whole generation of people and readers. So I think yeah. it's time for them to retire for good. Um, so and and I think I mentioned I'm also I have the series of mushroom books, which is based mm-hmm. on and the Sour Scheme, which was a popular short story that I wrote many many years ago. So now I have a trilogy of the mushroom character uh, series. And that was kind of inspired by this was all during COVID when everything was locked down. And the only thing that was keeping me sane was taking long walks uh, in, in the woods and in the, in the mountains here. So I was realizing, hey, there's wild mushrooms all over the place. So Mort wants to go to the wild and find his roots in the mm-hmm. second two books. And he finds out that he's more than just like a snack food. He's actually an <laughs> integral part of the forest. So that's that's my other series. And right now, I would say for the first time in many years, I don't really have a plan for the next story. So hmm. I'm having to uh, look for inspiration. 
Yeah. You need to go spend some more time with Ethan at the coffee shop. <laughs> Unfortunately, Ethan moved away. Now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> now I have to go find some more readers. But uh, I, yeah. I definitely talking to kids. I mean, I, I do teach in the classroom a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I work with an organization called Smart Arts. And we integrate things uh, from what we do into the lesson plans that, that they're learning in school. So I'm getting a lot of constant input. I mean, every school year I have second, third, fourth graders usually mm-hmm. that are giving me input onto other things that I can do. And, mm-hmm. and I don't dismiss that because they have good ideas. Um, yeah. yeah. And they're probably <laughs> they really not do. afraid to tell you what they want to read. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, sometimes they give the suggestions for a sequel. You know, they might tell me this is what you need to do next. So if one of them wants to do that, I'm all ears right now. Yeah, we had um, author Maria Farb on and she writes a lot of fairy tale retellings that are just beautiful. But she'd written this one book and she said that she had thought she was done. And then one of her readers basically sent her a short manuscript, like all the directions that they thought that she should take the story and everything to do for the next book. And so she decided she would write another one. And so she's writing another one and dedicating it to this kid. But I mean, always encourage people to reach Uh, out to the authors. (laughs) Readers have more input than they realize. Uh, I think. Yeah. You know, when I when I used to read stories, I, I didn't ever think about the, the real author like I could actually communicate with them. But yeah, but I, I really want to encourage kids to do that now. I, I want them to think that, yeah, this is a real person. They come up with ideas. You can come up with ideas. We're not that different, really, just because we're on different sides yeah. of the page here. Uh, so I want to encourage kids to come up with ideas. And that's part of what I do when I go into classrooms, try to get them to think of creative ideas that they can write. I was looking at the program that you're working with and you, one of the things you do is teach them how to draw hidden image drawings. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got to keep that generation. Well, you got to make a new generation of that going. <laughs> got to keep my foot in that door because uh, yeah. that's the other thing. Every teacher, you know how it is. Every teacher, just like your husband, um, when yeah. they hear that I've worked on hidden pictures, their, their heart melts like, oh, hidden pictures. I love hidden pictures. <laughs> so, it's by far the the biggest entree I have to to any uh-huh. kind of school, uh-huh. so I have to include them in what I do, and it actually works really well because I talk about illustration on the basis of my stories, and then mm-hmm. I have lead them in making an illustration from the Island Rule or one of these books, and then I tell them the next day that we're going to turn that illustration into a hidden picture. They cannot know that when they start drawing. Or it's a disaster. Uh, influences. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so do you have a preference of illustration or writing or do those just go hand in hand and you just think about them together? I like I like them both a lot and I like teaching. I, I, I do all three of them a lot. Uh, right. Every time my, my schedule is changing all the time. So sometimes I'm heavily into teaching uh, or heavily into writing. Right now I'm heavily into illustration. So... Uh, I'm loving illustration, you know, because I'm doing a lot of it right now. And I'm glad to be able to, like, have three things that I can switch back and forth because as a freelancer, you kind of need that um, because you can't really depend on one lasting for a whole year necessarily. 
So do you illustrate for other authors too then? Sometimes, yes. I don't really recruit that as much. I do get occasionally get asked. Uh, mm-hmm. I do a lot of hidden pictures style illustrations for other companies besides highlights just because my name is on the Google list, you know. And uh, the main thing I get from other places is placemats because they want kids to have something to do while they're waiting in the restaurant. Very important. So, yeah, Yeah. I've done a lot of hidden picture placemats um, over the years uh, in addition. I wish more restaurants had that because I have a (laughs) five-year-old audience still. When you go, you can tell them you know who can do it for them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you get started with hidden pictures? Just because we're talking about them again. Is that something where highlights or whoever the first person was like, we're looking for this and you were like, okay, I can figure that out. Or is that something that you learned how to do? And then when you saw the ad saying, we need someone who can do this, you were like, I can do that. (laughs) But I I was, I was freelancing mostly in right. It's actually was about the same time I was writing my books. I was, I was just finishing them up. And I was thinking that was all for them. And uh, I was just trying to do more illustration work. And so sending out samples, this was back in the 90s when the internet really wasn't developed that much. Yeah. So we would send things out. And um, I sent it to Highlights and they they said, well, we really like your line style. They were doing everything in black and white then. Mm-hmm. And so we really need a lot of hidden pictures over the next few years so would you like to try that? So I, I was not seeking that at all. They just said mm-hmm. that's what they needed and they felt like my style would fit it. So I tried one. And see, this is why I know that it doesn't work to try to think about hiding. I uh-huh. tried to hide things as I was drawing and they stick out like a sore thumb. You can't do that. <laughs> you can't like hide and draw around things. It doesn't uh-huh. work. So uh, I turned that first one in. Of course, I, the art director was very gracious, but she said, you know, you're doing it all wrong. <laughs> you got to draw <laughs> an illustration first and not think about what you're going to hide and then go back and make mm-hmm. things in it. So um, mm-hmm. realizing that that's the way you do it, I, that's the way I teach kids how to do it without them knowing that that's what they're doing. Yeah. So I just started doing it and then they just kept giving me more and more work. Um, at that point, they were they were producing a lot of books with hidden pictures in them, uh-huh. you know, just hidden picture books, collections, and a lot right. of my stuff went in there. That's how I ended up making so many. Is they were they would say do ten, I would do ten, uh-huh. they would say do ten more, and that just went on <laughs> for months. So yeah, I, I don't think they're doing that anymore. It's much more assignment specific. But at that point, they were really looking to get a lot of uh, quantity. Mm-hmm. Uh, for these mm-hmm. collections. Well, they are definitely well-loved. So. Yeah. <laughs> a publishing question that I have. So you, with the Island Books, did you self-publish or were you able to find a publisher again that was willing to publish that series for you? Uh, yeah, I, I decided to self-publish without even trying to find a publisher on them. Yeah. During those 15 years of in the attic, you know, the the self-publishing world changed a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I used to, you know, I've been teaching writing all these years for like 30 years. And I used to always tell my students, don't even consider self-publishing back mm-hmm. in the beginning because it wasn't practical. 
it was it was mm-hmm. you'd have to put these immense amount of books out uh, and then hope to sell them and recoup your cost. And I kept seeing right. that, that just didn't work. So yeah. when Amazon came up with their system uh, with Kindle books print on demand and print on demand, it made sense. Then mm-hmm. it's really up to you to market. But what I've realized mm-hmm. is it's always up to you to market. It right. doesn't even, yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you get it published by a publisher, they'll only market you for a little bit and then mm-hmm. it's all you. So since I teach in schools a lot and I do some other speaking at events and stuff like that, I thought, I kind of have an an opportunity to sell because if you speak, you, you're going to sell more books. Yeah. It's just where it goes. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I just decided I'm just going to do that. I'm just going to produce them and sell them myself. Yeah. You have That's uh, great. ways that you would tell people who are considering self-publishing to learn to be better at marketing their books? Well, marketing is a constantly learning. <laughs> I'm constantly learning <laughs> I, I do have some people helping me with that now. A company, strangely enough, someone who who remembers Morton the Sour Scheme, the story that uh, about the mushroom from way back. Actually, it is now a book here. There's the book. She remembered it, and she was starting a remedial reading program. Um, mm-hmm. So she found out, she was thinking, I know there was a story like that. And her art director also had read that book or that story. And he said, oh, I know who that is. It's Tim Davis, and he lives right here in Greenville. So <laughs> she contacted me, and I've really been working for ever since. Uh, she's given me a lot of illustration work to do. She has stories she's written, uh, she's bought from me. Um, so she's also a marketer. So she's going to help me with marketing by using their company as another platform for me to launch off yeah. for the schools that they service. Uh, so we'll see over the next year if this partnership uh, marketing along with a publisher uh, that didn't publish the book, but is is actually very interested in it, uh, will work. Yeah, so. yeah, that's that's very cool. Eric doesn't read a lot of books, but he does read a lot of articles he thinks would be of interest to me. Okay. And so the other night we were talking and he was like, did you know that most authors will not sell more than 50 copies of their book in a year and i was like hogwash and he's like no seriously i was like oh are you just talking about like all the little authors that are like self-publishing and he's like no like all the authors the majority of them will not sell more than 50 books in a year and i was like you need to find that article and send it to me so i can read it so while he was finding (laughs) that article karen swallow Pryor, who wrote the book on reading well that we had done for a book club one year in our group i follow her on social media and she had posted and she was like the majority of authors will not sell more than 2000 books in a year that is their top that should be their top expectation and only 1% will hit the bestsellers list and authors need to like adjust their expectations and then some authors who i greatly respect and consider to be well known authors were commenting in her thread and they were like Thank you for saying this. We've been struggling with feeling like we're failing. And all of a sudden, I was like, how are you not selling more than 2,000 books in a year? Like, it just, and Amanda and I were talking about this while you were troubleshooting getting on today. And she was like, I just don't think people are reading the way that we think they are. But it just, yeah. it blows my mind. And and Karen's thing that she, she was like restating this again. She's like, this is why I always tell new authors, do not pay someone 
to publish your work because you won't make it back. You have to self-publish today. You have to keep control of as much of the pie as you can because your Especially expectations should be responsible should... for your own marketing. Yeah. She's like, no one should be writing books to become famous and rich. <laughs> She's like, that should just be the going in expectation. If that happens for you, great. But that should not be your expectation going into it. But no, that's, that's, yeah, very, so. that's very good. And I, I'm, I'm glad you said that too. I, I'm not aware of that article. I, I would like to see that if you can send that to me. Yeah. Um, I, I think that most people do have a misimpression about what it means when, when, like, for instance, you both knew the mice books, lots of people know the mice books. So they might think, mm -hmm. oh, Tim must be making a lot of money on those mice books. No, no, I'm not like making a lot of money on them. <laughs> um, they keep selling. They do keep selling. Mm -hmm. They keep reprinting them. And I'm very happy about that. But, you know, I'm not marketing them. The publisher's not really marketing them anymore. They just, mm -hmm. people just buy them by word of mouth. And yeah. I realized that that's really where it all ends up. You have to keep mm -hmm. stirring up the word of mouth as the author. Right. You're, you're, yeah. It's all on you. And so yeah. what's the best audience? Well, your readers. And where do I find my readers? In elementary schools. So mm -hmm. that is really what I decided is that's as good a marketing as I can really do is to connect with elementary schools. Yeah. Yeah, and I think when, when you care about your audience, that's a great way to connect with them mm -hmm. authentically instead of just, you know, trying to force a relationship or a connection to market, but you genuinely enjoy your art, you genuinely enjoy teaching kids how to do art. It was very evident in all the pictures that I was looking at on your website that you guys were all having fun doing what you were doing. Well, I love the so. connection. Yeah, like you say, the connection yeah. with the audience that, that's going to read your book or is reading your book, it's just the most wonderful thing, really. And and even yeah. now, still sometimes kids will come in, like when I'm at the coffee shop and their parents know who I am, but their kids are reading my books and they don't know who I am. So the parent will introduce them. And they're awe, like, I can't believe it. it's Mr. Davis. <laughs> <laughs> there he is. He's right there. He's, he's drinking coffee. It, it's funny because, you know, it's it makes you feel like a pseudo celebrity. But uh -huh. it's really just because they love the work. They love the stories. And that's what's really rewarding about it. Well, I really appreciate the books that you have written. And I appreciate being able to have pirate stories for my younger kids because I think it is a a fun historical concept and type of experience to be sharing with the next generation. Do you, um, oh, you have children? Is that yes. correct? They're all grown up now. They were yeah. kids when I was writing the mice books. And Did, uh, Do you have I, any grandkids? Yes, um, we have... Well, we have four kids that are all grown up. They're all between like 31 and 26, I think. No, 33 mm -hmm. and 26. Um, but they, uh, we have two grandkids who live in Detroit. So we see them sometimes, but they're yeah. in fifth grade and third grade. So they're actually at my target level of readers. Yeah. So um, I was wondering, do, do they think that you're pretty cool or are they just like, oh, that's just well, grandpa? I mean, they mostly like me <laughs> grandpa. I think they're they're more into superhero stuff and mm -hmm. that's just not mm -hmm. what I do. So uh, yeah. I mean, they, they like it fine. It's just not their thing. Um, right. But 
I also have a granddaughter who's, uh, she's just about to turn two. So she's still a little young. So she's not reading, obviously, but uh, it's really fun just to think about down the road. I think she'll be reading Mm -hmm. them too. And I have cousins who have kids now. The cousins read them and now the cousins' kids are reading them. You know, so I got to see one of my cousins recently um, and uh, I presented him with the new book on the Island Rule. And he was so, it was just so fun. He had been a reluctant reader and his mom mm-hmm. had used the mice books to help get him excited about reading. So yeah. now to give one for her, his little kids was just really kind of a special, like call coming around again, you know? Yeah. That's nice. That is really nice. We do a reading challenge in our reshelving Alexandria community every year. And we have a, 12 book challenge, which is just our like standard challenge. But then for people that want to read a lot, we do a 52 book challenge, but then we have a separate kids challenge and teen challenge and family read aloud challenge. And at the end of the year, we do drawings in each of the categories for people who had completed their challenge. And last year we had a five-year-old complete the 52 book challenge. And I was like so impressed with him. Yeah. And obviously, you know, he did it with mostly picture books, but he found one for each of the different categories that we had come up with. And I was like, well, there's really no one to draw against. So I'm just going to like, you know, do the drawing for the adults as per usual. And then I'm just going to send you a book because I'm so just impressed that you're basically a kid after my own heart doing what I would have done at your age. And so I... I wanted to send him one of the mice books, but I was like, that's just mean to like send him a book and then make him fall in love. So then his mom has to buy the rest of the books. So I sent him like all five. And that was like, I only knew about the five. So I just sent him all of them. I was like, here you go. Five books to give you a jump start on next year's 52. But he just loved them. And rule ones for the next year. Yes. Right. Exactly. No, no, I'll have to do those. Oh, that's a good question. So, do you think that the Island Rules books work as a standalone if someone has not read the mice books? Yes, but I'm definitely going to be hinting at the mice books, and there are several mm-hmm. hints all through. Mm-hmm. So what I want is for people, if they do just read them, they might say, well, what's with all, you keep mentioning these mice and these other ships. Yeah. So I want them to get curious enough to go back and read them. Right. Which I yes. had some people say that's what they're going to do now. But I, I, yeah. Yeah, I want them to really, ideally, you should read the mice books in order and then you should mm-hmm. read these books. That would be, and also age yeah. group, that's kind of the way they work. The younger you are, the easier the mice books are. The first ones are easier than the last ones. And then these are definitely more complex than the mice books were. So theoretically. Right. I was going to ask. So what yeah. grade levels do you think that the mice books are for and then the island books are for? I, I have heard of good readers in first grade, grade starting with mm-hmm. Mice of the Herringbone. Um, so okay. that seems to be kind of common, but I, I call it second grade, really. Second, th- second and third are the mice books. And mm-hmm. I think okay. these books, the island rules, are more like third, fourth, fifth. And then kind of like by fifth, it kind of, you never know where, where kids are going to go after that. They might think chapter books are too young for them. But then what I find is like, I get them again, like when they come around and early adults, they want to read them. And if they've read them before, they <laughs> <want to read. laughs> 
Sometimes life is busy as an early adult and just a a good nostalgic book is the way to go. Yeah. Especially if you love Gilbert Sullivan, you're going to like that book, no matter how old you are, just because it's fun. Does the Gilbert and Sullivan work as a standalone? Like if you had a friend that really liked operas and Gilbert and Sullivan and you were like, oh, I'm going to just gift them this book because they might enjoy it. Yeah. Is there enough for it to just stand by itself and not be like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know any of these people. I think they would get it still. I mean, it's got the characters are kind of iconic in a way, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, pirates are. So you kind of get the idea of what's going on. And uh, then again, I just think you drop hints and they say, well, my books like this. I want to read some of the other books now. That's what I'm like. And I'm I'm really trying to reach out to remedial readers, uh, the remedial kids, because I know that early on, that was what I was hearing from a lot of parents is that chapter books, especially, they weren't getting a lot of just plain fun adventure stuff in chapter books. Mm -hmm. And that's, for me, that's all I wanted to read. So uh, I know that there's other kids like that too. If, if, if it's just going to be about a day at school, no, please. No, I don't want to read that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We have a category on our literary database that's um, high interest, low reading level. And that's for the people who didn't start reading until they were in that eight to 11 age range. And they don't want to be reading about, Jack and Jill, who are five years old, and them going about the day feeding the little chicks. You know, they want something that feels more their age and more advanced in maturity. And so I do like these because they aren't children. They are young adults, young adult Mm. mice, you know, running around (laughs) having childlike innocence without, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's not. As you said, they aren't dangerous pirates, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like a baby book if you're establishing your reading skills. And I think so also I, I really like the series for the that. They like tend to like a little more adventure, I think, mm-hmm. as my opinion. But I, I, yeah, <laughs> I have girl readers too. But I mean, I just think sometimes the boys are just like, "Give me some action here," you know. Mm-hmm. So that was always my call for for what I wanted. In fact. If I would say one of my early favorite books that caught my attention was The Hobbit. And this was way mm-hmm. back before anybody, I mean, some people knew The Hobbit, but back in the 70s, I was reading The Hobbit yeah. and just falling in love with all that stuff. And that was very influential in like my whole sense of like create a world, make it full of adventure. And that was that was really what I wanted to be able to do. Yeah, I love that. We usually ask our guests to open by telling us three of their most influential books in their life. And I, we haven't had a guest in a while in recording because Amanda and I have been recording together. So I completely forgot that opening question. But besides oh, well, The Hobbit, do you, do you have two other books that come to mind? Yeah, um, definitely The Hobbit was the most influential book. And of course, the, the accompanying series, Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. But um, I would say... When I got a little, a little more into reading kids' books later, um, this was past when I was a kid. But one of the books I really loved was because of Win Dixie, and mm. it came out. Uh, Kate DiCamillo's book came out when all four of our kids were at home, and mm-hmm. three years apart, and it appealed to every single one of them on a different level. And to yeah. me, that was 
wow, that's good writing. When you can catch that span of ages and those Mm -hmm. boy, girl, boy, girl, and they all loved it for different reasons. Mm -hmm. So I thought that book is, is in my my opinion, is one of the classics, really, of children's literature. Another one that I like for a slightly different reason is uh, uh, Holes by Louis Sycar. When I first read that, I was blown away by his ability to like put these two parallel stories and then merge them at the end, so much so that I w- tried to do that on another story I was working on. I had, That's another manuscript in my attic, but... Uh, <laughs> It's harder than it might seem, you know, to, to be able yeah. to make things come together. Uh, so that's been another one of my favorites probably for a long time. So, uh, How many manuscripts do you have in your attic? Yeah, right? <laughs> you have complete manuscripts, like partial? God, <laughs> any, complete, incomplete, oh, whatever. Oh, man, I've got, I've got sci-fi stuff that I've worked on. It, none of that's been published. Um, it goes through my critique group. See, we, yeah. we meet every couple times a month and so get a lot of feedback and sometimes they'll just, they'll be disappointed that I put one aside. I have another, like an adventure that's really kind of serious, um, more uh, definitely an adult level action adventure, but I've put that one aside too. Um, I just don't know. Those are, those genres are so different for me. I don't know mm-hmm. if I can pull it off. It, it's I know, but your original audience are like all adults now. It sounds yeah. perfect. <laughs> That's true. That's Sounds like true. the right time. Maybe you know? you're right about that. You know? um, maybe I'll get them back out. I, I don't know. I need to talk to somebody to convince me to get those out of the attic. But um, <laughs> now I, I like trying enough. different things like you. that. I'm sorry. What? We're not good enough. We can't convince you. <laughs> Well, if you wrote an adult book, my husband might read it, you know? Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> like, it's All my right. Jim Davis, Eric. And he put a highlight <laughs> in the back of it. There's a hidden picture oh, in yeah. it. <laughs> There's something hidden in it. Oh, which, there is a kind of hidden picture in this one. Uh, kind of. Okay. And there's also, I put a, a secret code in here, uh, which mm-hmm. I will explain. Um, one of the problems that the pirates have is they can't spell. And it hinders them greatly in this story um, because uh, they, they, they have to be able to spell in order to, in essence, break a spell that Barnacle gets in. So they have mm-hmm. to do it by spelling correctly, and they just can't do it. So every time the pirates <laughs> sing, there's a ton of misspellings in there. And what at the end, it, there's a way you can break through what is how to break through if you spell them all right you end up with one letter that's missing and that mm-hmm. letter is the crucial letter that would have solved the, the pirate's dilemma uh-huh. so there's nice. stuff in there. yeah inspire kids to learn to spell <laughs> you know that one was inspired by a uh, teacher i was working with uh, i think it was a third grade class and I had the manuscript, I was reading a little section from that book because I was working on it then. And the teacher said, do you notice how the pirates talk different? And it's, you can see it in the way the words are spelled. And it's like a light went out in my brain. I thought, whoa, I think I could do something with that. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> 
I told her, I told her later, I said, you really gave me a good idea there. I, and that's, it's in this book now. I love seeing the little places inspiration can come from. Something yeah, that we and- try to incorporate in our episodes when I remember, because sometimes as Amanda will tell you, I just like, I'm going a mile a minute and my brain doesn't slow down because I'm so <laughs> just focused, but I made a yep. huge note to myself. Remember to do this is we try to read a book review from a kid about a book that they've read that they want to recommend to our listening audience. So I'm going to do that real quick. And this book review comes from Anne Lizandra, which is her non de plume, age 11. And she says, I love Shakespeare. My favorite Shakespeare books are his original plays, but I also like reading his stories retold. Edith Nesbitt's book, Beautiful Stories from Shakespeare, is probably my favorite retelling. She really does tell the stories in a way that's beautiful and easy for the children of today to understand. I like her comedy of errors, which is the hardest play for me to understand. She makes the story easy to follow while still using some quotes from Shakespeare himself. I like how she describes Puck in A Midsummer's Night's Dream. She describes him in a way that makes children like him and laugh at his mischievous and funny ways. I really like her version of of Midsummer's Night's Dream also. It's funny, sweet, and bitter too, although it doesn't end bitter. It is a classic that I think all children and adults should read. Beautiful Stories from Shakespeare is great and is one of my favorite books to read. And I'm thrilled to have been able to tell you about one of my favorite Shakespeare books. So we just want to say thank you to Anne. We like Shakespeare retellings as well. And that was my great review. You said she's a lot. Yeah, we get really good kid reviews. (laughs) I'm always so jealous. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> good job, guys. I often seem like my brain just freezes at, oh my goodness, I just loved it so much. <laughs> it's like I, I yep. can't really do much more. <laughs> That's like literary criticism right there. That was very well done. Yeah. 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 And the funny thing is, I actually just recently did an integration unit with Midsummer Night's Dream where I was talking about similarities between stories that I'd written. And plot similarities, mm-hmm. character, uh, how they played off of each other. So um, we analyzed Midsummer Night's Dream in depth. And Puck, of course, mm-hmm. was one of their favorite characters. And he compares to Barnacle to Parrot uh, in my books. So I think yeah. it's, it's kind of fun to analyze how books have similar structures and character development. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Not intentionally. It's just sort of like there's certain right. ways that work. And yeah, the way similarities. humans work. And, yeah, the yeah. humans work, right. Yeah. Yep. Or even animals that act like humans work. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. If you like Midsummer's Night's Dream, there's an author, Rajani LaRocca, who's um, her parents are from India. And she writes a lot of really good stories about kids who are half Indian, half white Americans, and just growing up in the, the pole the give and pull of the two cultures and being first, you know, first generation born in America. And she wrote two Shakespeare retellings. She wrote Much Ado About Baseball, which obviously is Much Ado About Nothing. And it's very math heavy, like the kids are on a math scavenger mm-hmm. hunt. And then she wrote Midsummer's Mayhem. And it was the first book of hers that I read, and I just fell in love with her at that point, and it has not stopped. And it is a little girl who not only has a white American dad and an Indian American mother, but 
she is the youngest child and she's trying to figure out like how she belongs culturally, but also how she belongs in her family of excellent people and her best friend has just moved and then she meets a young boy in a banyan tree in the woods who's puck and there's this she's she's a baker that's what she does that she does well and so she enters this baking contest at a new restaurant in town that's run by fairies except people don't know it (laughs) they give her like little special ingredients to add to her food that just kind of make everything go a little wonky for everybody around her and i was not sure going into it how she was going to be able to handle the romance aspect given that it's middle schoolers but it's brilliantly handled and it's hysterical and so i really enjoyed a midsummer's mayhem if you enjoy shakespeare retellings at all that's a a fun quick one to read through i just love to analyze the way stories work and Mm -hmm. especially when you're talking about a classic story like how can you make it still work and like totally reset it uh change so many elements and it's still has the same core to it. Well, that's fascinating. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm so excited to hear about your books. Thank you so much for coming and sharing with us about them. And I'm excited to add the Island books to our shelves and to share them with my sisters. <laughs> Who were like, he wrote more mice books. And that was actually their first question a few months ago when you told me about the Island books. I told them, you know, Tim wrote three more books in this series. And I'm like, are the mice in it? I was like, I don't know. I have to ask. <laughs> and you're like, they're they the are. third one. <laughs> so, yeah. So they're definitely mice fans. 30 so there's a lot of Ethan's later. out there. That's good to know. There's always Ethan yeah. people here asking about the mice. That's yes. Cool. There are a lot of Ethan people out there that <laughs> want, want to know about the mice. So we... Thank you for your time. We thank you for sharing with us about your publishing experience and going alone and the fact that we shouldn't give up on our dreams, that we might have something that we start today that isn't going to bear fruit for another 15 years, but that doesn't mean that it won't bear fruit just because it didn't now. So that's a good lesson to learn. But we want it's to- not like you're just setting it aside. You're still learning in the meanwhile. Yeah. I yeah. felt like when I came back to it, I was a better writer than I was back then. So mm-hmm. that's encouraging. Yeah, that is encouraging. Like life experience still still happens during that time, and, right. and you'll throw in. have more insight, and so forth. So. Yeah, yeah. Don't give up. That's don't give up. I, I I I see many of my writing students that I've had. So I told you I've taught this for like thirty years, and I'll see them around town sometimes, and they know I'm going to ask them like. Oh, if you still writing anything, if you, and you know, some of them are like going all out still, but other ones, oh no, this happened and that happened. And I always try to make them think, you know, that, that's fine. That doesn't mean you have to give up though. It doesn't right. mean you're done. You can get back to yeah. it. Yeah. It's a great lesson. So we want to thank our listeners for joining us today. And we will have all of Tim's books linked in the show notes, as well as any other books that we talked about today. And we want to remind everyone that the stories are truer than true. Have a great afternoon. Bye.